But I want you to think about what your favorite meal would be. What would be the last meal you would want here on earth? And one person said, I wanted, or I want, two chicken fried steaks smothered in gravy with sliced onions, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger with fixings on the side, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, jalapenos, a large bowl of fried okra with ketchup, one pound of barbecue with half a loaf of white bread, three fajitas with the fixings, a meat lover's pizza, three root beers, one pint of bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream, and a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. This was the true last requested and granted final meal in the Texas State Penitentiary on death row. After this one, they said no more. <laughs> and the guy didn't even eat it. <laughs> what would you want to do with your last 24 hours on earth? What would you want to do? Would you want to live one last great adventure? Would you want to be surrounded by your family and friends? What would you want to do? You see, our, our Christ, our Savior, Jesus was given, and he knew about 24 more hours to live. And what he wanted to do was to spend time with his followers. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to serve them. And so we're going to continue on in our study of John. We've been going through John, and we're at the second half of John now. And we're at John chapter 13. And in John, he's going to remind them that the Passover is near. The Passover, which happens, they are basically our Easter is based on the Passover because that's when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And John wants us to understand that the Passover is near because he's showing where Jesus is in these festivals, and Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. So in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He loved his own who were with him in the world, and he loved them to the end. Jesus is going to spend his last 24 hours, his last night, and he's going to have a, a meal with his followers. And it says he loves them to the end, meaning he loves them until his goal is going to be complete. And before the world was created, Jesus looked down and he saw us and he knew that we were going to live a life of sin, live how God wasn't going to want us to live, and it was going to be his sacrifice. He was going to be the Passover lamb. He was going to be who was going to come and take on the sins of the world so that we could be with him forever. And he was going to love us and stick to that goal. And so he's having this time with his followers, and yet there's something that's looming over him. And it's not just the death that he's going to face, but one of his followers is actually plotting against him. One of his followers is, is ready to, to betray him, ready to sell him to the people so that they can kill him. In verse 2 it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. You see, each of us lives a life where we have different vices 
that we like to cling to. Different things that, that it might be different for me than you. Maybe I struggle with gossip. Maybe you struggle with anger. We all have different vices, and Judas's vice, the thing that Judas struggled with, was greed and taking things that weren't here, that weren't his. Matter of fact, last chapter, if you listened in, we talked about Judas and how Judas, even when he saw someone worshiping Jesus with this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume, he reprimanded her, saying that money that could be sent to, given to the poor. Matter of fact, in John chapter 12, verse 4, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself. Judas had a heart that wanted things that weren't his. He had a heart that was greedy. And he's like a lot of us, and we also live in this world where Satan tempts us to follow that. Matter of fact, Judas wanted this so much, he would rather have a few extra coins in his pocket than have the Savior of the world give his life for him. He'd rather have a few extra coins in his pocket than have someone that could give him eternal life. And so this is what he's thinking about. These are the temptations he's going through. And Satan is prompting him to do this. But even though Jesus knew that this was happening, Jesus was still going to show his love for his followers, even those that were about to betray him. In verse uh, 3 it says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the mill, took out his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that... He poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, if you ever seen the picture of the Last Supper, most of us have seen that, right, where you have Jesus in the middle and his 12 uh, apostles uh, surrounding him at the table, and they're all sitting at a table. Leonardo da Vinci, he did that, and it's a great painting, a beautiful painting, but it's not really historically accurate because they didn't sit at tables. The Jewish people, they laid down and they reclined at tables. Matter of fact, they would kind of lay on this arm and they would eat like this. And everyone's just laying on the ground. And so if you're laying on the ground, guess what? Someone's feet are pretty close to your face. So it was very customary that they would have a feet washing before you had dinner because no one wants feet in their food, right? And so what they would do is they would, they would wash the feet, but the host would never wash the feet. They would get one of their servants to wash the feet. And matter of fact, it was the loneliest of servants that washed the feet. And Jesus is going to teach them a lesson. Jesus is going to serve them. Jesus is going to be the one who washes the feet of his disciples. He takes off his robe and he walks over to him and he looks like the part of a servant. And he takes every one of their feet and he washes them, even the ones that are betraying him. And then he comes up to Simon, Peter. And Peter sees what Jesus is about to do, and he's not going to have it. In verse 6 it says, He came to Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but you later will understand. No, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Peter a lot of times gets it wrong. And right here he's saying, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy to have you be a servant to me. And what does Jesus say? Unless I wash your feet, you can have no part in me. Something similar was said at the beginning of John. In the very first chapter, it talks about John the Baptist who goes out as John the Baptist is baptizing people and he sees Jesus come. In verse 26 he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. He who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. What John the Baptist is saying is, I'm not even worthy to be the servant that washes Jesus' feet because Jesus is that much greater than us. That much greater than me. John the Baptist says he's not even ready to be a servant of Jesus because of the holiness of Jesus. And so you understand why Peter thinks that Jesus could never come and do that. But Jesus' life on this earth, the reason he came to this earth was to serve us. Because we have sin in our life and we need to be cleansed. We need to be washed by Jesus. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it tells a story of where Paul, who was once crucified or once, once persecuting Christians, is now choosing to become a follower of Christ. And Ananias tells him, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. He's told Paul, you've got to change your life and you've got to be served by Christ by being baptized into him and let your, let your sins be washed away. And then Paul goes and Paul tells this same thing to all the churches that he preaches to. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 says, but you were washed away. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. And he tells Titus when people are struggling with their sins to Remember that they were washed. In Titus 3 verse 4 it says, But when the kindness of the love of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us not because of the righteousness we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom we pour out on us great generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Jesus washes our sins. He washes it away. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, He takes what's dirty, what's filthy in our lives, and He gets rid of it. That's how He wants to serve us. And so what should our reply be to that? Well, Peter looks at Jesus after he says that, that he, if, if we want to have a part of Him, He says, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Peter is thinking, there's no way I could be worthy to be in your presence, God. There's no way I could be worthy enough to be your follower. You just need to take me and wash me fully. And Jesus is saying, you've already had a bath. 
And I think what Jesus means there is, is there's been a part of them that have already come to Christ. Their hearts are right. They've made the commitment to believe in Him. They made the commitment to follow Him. So their heart's right, but they're going to stumble sometimes. You might have a bath, but whenever you're walking out of the bath, immediately your feet get dirty. And the only thing you can do is have them washed by the purest water, right? And that's Jesus Christ, and He washes them, and He says, your hearts are right, you don't need a full bath, but you need to come to Me and let Me serve you. Let Me wash you in My blood. We're never going to be perfect, but Jesus gives us the grace that makes up for that. And that's why He calls us to do that. And then He sits and and He asks them, after He finishes washing their feet, He puts back on His robe and He sits in His rightful place. And after He finished, in verse 12 it says, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Not only did Jesus wash their feet, but He's saying, now I need you to do what I have just have done. I need you to go and wash each other's feet. And look whose feet Jesus washed. He washed the feet of someone that was going to betray Him. He washed the feet of people that would have been His enemy. So what's the line for you? How far are you willing to follow Jesus? See, a lot of us might be willing to wash feet for people that aren't all that dirty, right? People that we might love. I remember a time when I was at Camp Deerun and I was on the leadership staff at Camp Deerun and the director at the camp said, all right, this is what I want you all to be servant leaders. And so he taught us to, he said, we're going to have a foot washing ceremony and we're going to wash all the staff members' feet. And I remember thinking, okay, that's not too bad. And then I looked at this one guy. This guy didn't have the best hygiene habits. He never wore socks and his shoes were filthy. And it was the summer in East Texas. And I started thinking... I'm washing everyone's feet, but I'm not going to wash that guy's feet, right? There were three others of us, and I looked around, and I made sure I got to a place where someone else was going to do that. You see, sometimes we have a line that we won't cross to follow Jesus. There's things that are going to be holding us back that we're not willing to... to we're willing to follow you this far, God, but... I don't know if I can give that up. Judas is, is, is struggling with this because Judas, he's not willing to follow, follow Christ to the end. He's going to follow him as long as Jesus is going to help him. And then the other disciples out there, they have their lines that they're not willing to cross. And we sit in here in this room and all of us look nice in our Easter best. But maybe we have lines that we're not willing to cross. And when Jesus thinks about this, it troubles him. 
In verse 21 it says, After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you that one of you is going to betray me. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Only one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, and Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and he said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? All of them looked around and they looked around the room and everyone seemed like they had it all together. But Judas was living this life with this secret sin. He was a thief and no one knew it. He had a heart that was filled with greed and no one knew it. But they were looking around wondering who it was and probably they were thinking it was themselves that was going to betray Jesus. Because each of them knew that there was a line that they weren't willing to cross to follow Jesus. And that's why Jesus is going to be killed and crucified all alone. And probably a lot of them are just thinking, is it me? Is he talking about me? And Peter makes sure he asks, he asks the guy next to Jesus, he says, ask him who it is. In verse 26, Jesus answered, it's the one whom I give this piece of bread. When I have dipped it in the dish, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. But no one understood at the meal why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought that he was telling them to buy what was needed for the Passover festival or give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. No one knew what was going on with Judas. Yet Judas knew and Jesus knew. Judas understood the sin that was in his heart Judas knew that by the time he was going to dip that bread in the water, he had finally made his decision up that he was going to follow Satan and not Jesus. And sometimes the sin wells up in our life that we decide we are going to ultimately follow Satan and not our Christ. All of us struggle with certain different temptations. Some are temptations of omission. We don't, and sins of omission where we don't really think about them. We, we might get a little angry and, 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 and do things that we, we didn't, uh, intend to do. And, and while that's a sin, there's other sins that just kind of creep up in our minds, in our thoughts. And we decide to finally commit those sins. Willingly, fully commit those sins. Give our lives over to the evil one. And that's what Judas does right here. And they, no one knew because just like, just like us, the sin was done in secret. And so we have these things in our hearts that we're not letting other people know. Matter of fact, they thought that Judas was maybe going and, and securing the payment for the Passover lamb. And in a sense, Judas was doing that, right? He was going off and he was going to betray Jesus for some meaningless coins. And he was going to make sure that Jesus was going to be handed over to the authorities and would be crucified. And we would have this Passover lamb. And as he leaves, Jesus tells his disciples this. 
In verse 34, he said, A new command I give you. Love one another just as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus wants them to realize that they've got to love each other. Even when people are doing you wrong, even when you're being betrayed, Jesus calls us to love. Love all those that we come in contact with. And when we do that, when we show our hearts for those that are different than us, they'll know that we're disciples of God. Loving one another. And that sounds good. And, and just like I talked about, though, there's, there's a line that some people might not be willing to cross, and, and it's hard for them to go all the way and show that love to others. Matter of fact, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot, know, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus knew that they were going to struggle. And he was going to have to go to that cross by himself. All of his people were going to leave him. All of his followers were going to leave him because we have sin in our life. But that's why he washed them. He administers grace to them. That we can always come back to him. He wants us to know that we can come back to him. That's why he says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter, who's struggling, says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. But Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, who stands so boldly for Jesus, is going to deny him. Sometimes we're strong when we're with other Christians. But then when we get separated and we're by ourselves, we struggle like Peter did. And Peter was going to deny Jesus, and Jesus knew that. Yet He still loved him. He still cared for him. That's how the chapter ends. Judas betrays him. Peter is going to deny him. And it's over, and it's kind of a sad ending to a whole chapter. Doesn't sound very happy. But today is Sunday. Today is the day that the tomb was empty. Today is the resurrection. And Jesus does all this as He shows them them a way to serve others through washing their feet. He looks like He takes the form of a servant and He does that in some extent. But He does something else that's pretty interesting. And it all revolves around Jesus' robe. If you if you read a little bit about what Jesus' robe is is all about, in John chapter 19, if you went forward, it says his robe was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And as the people were fighting over his robe at the cross, the, the guards were fighting over his robe, they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. We think about Jesus, if you remember your storybook pictures of Jesus, he's in this white robe with a red sash, and there's nowhere in the scriptures that says that, but it does say that his robe was special. And the thing that's special about his robe is it was made in the same way that the high priest's robe is made. 
not torn, made seamless from top to the bottom. And so when Jesus takes off his robe, I think what John is subtly trying to show us is that he is acting as if the high priest is because the high priest wears this great ornamental robe but seamless, sewn from top to bottom, and there's one day of the year that he takes it off. And it's the Day of Atonement. And the high priest will take off the robe and he'll set it aside and he'll walk into the Holy of Holies and he will atone the nation for their sins and he puts all the sins on what's called a scapegoat and they send the goat out of the city. And Jesus not only takes on the role of the high priest, but he takes on the role of the scapegoat and he lets the sin come upon him. And we see this picture of Jesus taking on the dirt and filth of the apostles. As he has this towel, he washes each of them. And you got to imagine that as, as their feet are so dirty, walking on these dusty roads and sandals, that Jesus is getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier as he goes through all 12 of them. But he does it because he loves us. Matter of fact, after he finishes... It says that he goes and we don't hear any more about the towels. We don't hear any more about the, the dirtiness. We don't hear any more about the sin. But he puts back on his priestly robe. And John actually shows us what it looked like in heaven as Jesus goes to the cross and he shows us what it looked like that morning that the tomb was empty. In Revelation chapter 5, he says, I saw the Lamb, the Passover Lamb of Jesus. He saw him looking as if it had been slain and standing in the center of the throne room says, and then they sang a new song, saying, because you were slain with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. As Jesus puts that robe back on and he goes and takes his rightful place, he is sitting as the tomb is empty, but he's sitting in heaven. And he's ready for everyone from every tribe, every nation, every color, everyone that has sin in their past. He's saying, come to me and I can wash your feet. I can make you clean. Have a heart like the apostles did. That you're going to be willing to give your life to Him and then be baptized into Him and be raised with Him. That's what it says in Romans chapter 6. Surely, if we're baptized into His death, we will be raised into His resurrection. The tomb was empty because He was in heaven and then He came back to earth and He showed us that He lives and He reigns for us. You have that opportunity to let Jesus wash your feet today. You can be baptized into His blood and you can be raised in His resurrection. Or, you might have already done that. And He says, now, a new command I give you, love one another. Wash each other's feet. Be willing to cross that line, even when it's a little bit hard sometimes. And follow Jesus. And just because you stumble, that's going to be okay. He's washed your feet. He's made you clean. He's given you grace. If there's anything we can do for you today, if we can help you, if we can pray for you, let us do that.
If you need Jesus to wash your feet, if you need to be baptized into His blood, please come while we stand and sing. Cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, leave with Him your care, and begin life anew. Kneel at the cross, kneel at the cross, leave every care, leave every care, kneel